Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. Welcome back again. We're nearing the end of our journey in the book of James as he brings words of comfort by hoping in the return of Christ and instruction in living wisely and loving and caring for one another until that day. We've journeyed through the partnership of faith and works. We've considered the power of the tongue. We've heard the importance of surrendering to God and His power and sovereignty and true repentance. We've also considered how James has helped his readers love others by addressing their sin. Ultimately, James's letter has instructed us in true religion, that Christ-like love demonstrates that we have been truly changed by Christ. This will be our last session in the book of James, and it's been a joy to guide you through this wonderful and challenging book. So today we'll look at James chapter 5, verses 7 through 19. In this first section of 7 through 12, we'll focus on their endurance through suffering and hoping in Jesus Christ. In the second section, we'll focus on 13 to 20, and we'll consider how we can live wisely to display godly character by caring for another in love, especially praying for those who fall away from their faith. In the text, James 5, verses 7 through 12, in our first point, James calls his readers to be patient until the Lord's return, to strengthen their hearts, to begin to love one another and not judge one another to endure, inherit the blessing of endurance like Job and the prophets did. James brings words of comfort to his readers, encouraging them to hope in the return of Christ in this section. He also gives instruction in living wisely with one another until that day. The theme of love is still at the heart of what James has prioritized throughout the letter. However, the comprehensive and complex reality of Christ's return isn't an easy matter to grab a hold of. So simply in our short time, I want to focus on one point. The implication of Christ's return for his people is one of great reward and life. James asked them to continue to endure suffering with patience. This is a very difficult proposition. I'm convinced that this isn't possible unless we have the supernatural help of the Holy Spirit and that we truly understand the great value of the kingdom of God. Matthew 13 verses 44 Jesus likens the kingdom of God as the great treasure that someone finds and sells all that they have and purchases the field in which they found the treasure. To endure, God's people have to see the surpassing worth of his kingdom compared to what this world has to offer. The kingdom is indeed a treasure above all treasures of all the things that the earth can offer. And it's easy to get caught up in the exact details of when Jesus will return But Jesus himself encourages disciples not to worry about such things in Matthew 24. Rather, to look forward to the treasure that the coming king is and has for his followers. Paul will say in Philippians 23 verse 8, I now regard all things as liabilities compared to the greater value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, from whom I have suffered the loss of all things. I regard these things as rubbish, as garbage. He too understood the secret to suffering well. He also encourages the Christians in Thessalonica over the same issue. He calls them 
in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 11, to take heart, to work hard, to be on alert, to be on guard, to be sons of light and sons of day. But they must not sleep or rest, but must be alert and sober, that they must put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of their salvation, that they must hope in God's grace that they're not destined for judgment. This text is very important in that he encourages them to be sober and focused on the Lord Jesus, that in fact, that they are sons of light. They are righteous and holy, and they're called to be alert in their faith, serving God, alert in their faith and trusting in the promise that is to come. They're not distracted by worldly pursuits. Their hope is in the promise of God. And frankly, the timing isn't really that important. This is what brings endurance and patience, the focus on God himself. We're to see the value of the kingdom of God through the hope of our faith in God. We don't hope in hope. We don't hope in our faith. We hope in the one who has made the promises. We hope in a person. This is what James is focused on. So according to James, how does this look practically for his audience? He uses another simple word picture of a farmer planting his crops and patiently waiting for them to be watered and then grow, grow into maturity so he might reap a harvest of beneficial fruit. Be patient and trust God that he will water. Matthew 13, Jesus tells a parable about a sower. When you read the parable, you would discover that the seed is the gospel of the kingdom of God. And the sower is us, the witness of the church. Consider how the seed grows. God supplies the seed with the wonderful engineering he has designed it to have and waters it, and it grows in good soil and it produces fruit. What a fitting reminder for us as we apply what James is telling his audience. Be patient amidst suffering and hope in God. He'll fulfill his promise. Be faithful and do some planting. Don't focus on wealth or worldly security or petty arguments or envy and strife with one another. If we do this, then how can we do planting and cultivating for the gospel? The gospel should take precedence over our sin. James again uses faithful people in Israel's history to inspire and encourage his audience to suffer well. In James 5 verses 10 through 11, he says, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who speak in the Lord's name. There's a lot to unpack here, but the prophets simply hoped in the coming of Christ in his first arrival. They were just like James's audience, except his audience is waiting for his second return, and they have the fulfillment of Christ's atonement and the giving of the Holy Spirit to work with. Remember what the author of Hebrews chapter 11 has said in verses 13 to 16. That all these people, all of God's saints in the Old Testament, had faith without receiving the promise, but they awaited for them to get to a better land, a better home. They seeked a better homeland. In fact, if they had been thinking of the land that they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they sought the heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to call them their God, and he's prepared a city for them. The people mentioned here are people who trust God and simply hope for a better future, a better home and life. 
James is essentially saying that we should follow their example like the prophets. The other example James uses is Job. Such a wonderful reference in the text because he ultimately suffered well. Sure, he struggled, but he ultimately trusted in a better future from God. All these people lived in the now with God's heart and priorities as the goal of their earthly life. Let's follow the example of these people in Hebrews 11 and not be distracted, but remain patient and endure the suffering of this life for a greater blessing of the next. There are some very good reminders in the other texts of the New Testament. Peter reminds his readers in 1 Peter 5.10, suffering is for a little while. But turn to Christ and his glory and be restored and confirm and strengthen and establish yourself in the promise. Romans 8.18, that Paul says, this present suffering doesn't even compare to the glory revealed to us through Christ. And he also says in Romans 5, verses 3 through 5, that the suffering we go through produces hope and endurance and character and leads to a greater faith and anticipation and that it won't disappoint. James specifically exhorts them to live wisely and being patient, hoping amidst their suffering and having joy towards one another by simply not grumbling and complaining, by not sinning. That's the stumbling block. In the second section, James 5, verses 13 to 20, we can briefly consider how James encourages his readers to simply live wisely in living out godly character and loving one another and praying for those, in fact, who have fallen away from their faith. In the text in James 5, verses 13 to 20, he turns his focus on those who are suffering, that they should pray, that the elders should come and anoint them with oil and cheer them up and bless them and sing praises and pray with them. And that even that their prayers will also help them to get well. He uses the example of Elijah in terms of how Elijah prayed and the righteous prayers of a righteous man availeth much. It is clear that James is encouraging them in this section to love one another amidst suffering and helping them patiently endure. In one sense, it's a very practical, pastoral approach in caring for those who are sick. It should not be surprising that in the first century, there would be a high level of illness and plight given the realities of life for ancient people. Furthermore, it makes sense that they have the poor among them, likely widows and orphans, who tend to lack the means for proper nutrition and medical care, for instance. However, in another sense, the encouragement of care and love for each other is spiritual. While he includes medicinal remedy of oil, he has a spiritual remedy of prayer over the sick, but calls for the sick to confess sin. This is peculiar. Simply put, their confession has two implications that's in tune with what James is saying. Number one, that they need to be ready for the return of the Lord, to live godly in earnest. Confession is an effective mechanism to ensure saving faith is exercised and that a life of walking in the Spirit to love and reflect God is achieved. That's very wise. Number two, there seems to be a connection between their confession and their healing. Now, I want to be clear to denounce the health and wealth view of the gospel that plagues our Western church thinking. This is not what James is saying. 
However, there is something important about the correlation between God's blessing and our obedience. James has spent a whole letter addressing the God of the true gospel through the importance of faith being worked out through good works. This is logical and spiritually normal and healthy thinking in God's eyes. James gives a very forceful example in Elijah, who is an Old Testament prophet who simply prayed that God would withhold rain from Israel because of their wickedness. Elijah was sent to call them to repent, and upon repentance, rains were restored to their land, or blessing was restored. So the issue of repentance has come up again for James. God's prophets always had a two-sided message, the message of condemnation for people's sin and a call to repentance. God is a holy God full of compassion and love for others. He loves the rich and the poor, the wise and the strong, the weak widow and the abandoned orphan. He has called all of them to repent of their sin and be saved and be filled with the message of life. Here James ends his letter with a call to be looking for the harvest of God as people repent of their sin and truly trust in Jesus as their Savior. James's instruction will enable Christians to represent Christ in a way that shows them a true picture of who he really is. Particularly for us today, God will use this to draw people to himself. He calls them to love and restore others and not reject them because of their past sins. What a way to end the letter. How can repentance and restoration occur? How can a brother in sin be saved and rescued if we don't love them? Remember, true religion before God is love for others as he loved us. Why? The practical reason here in the letter is that the work of God can't be accomplished through us if we can't love others properly. The things that will clearly prevent this from occurring are value and wealth over people, ungodly anger, worldliness, watered-down truth, partiality, and discrimination against others. Remember, James's letter has instructed us in true religion and worship by loving others through being like Christ. That Christ-like love demonstrates that we have been truly changed by Christ and responding to God in true faith through right belief produces right action that are not like the world. Let's go do it. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit Emmaus.edu slash partner.